for um, coming to our grants workshop. Um, my name is Marilyn Hatson, and I'm with the Maryland Humanities Council. I'm the program officer for grants and strategic partnerships. Um, very quickly, I'd also like to introduce my colleague, Teresa Warden, who's in the back, also with the Maryland Humanities Council. Um, we are so happy that you could join us today for this grants workshop, which will feature uh, grant makers from arts, uh, humanities, and heritage organizations. So hopefully you will hear something here today that will be useful to you. Um, our agenda, if you did not pick up a uh, folder in the back, um, one of the white, blue, and green folders has an agenda in it, um, and Teresa has some if you could just lift if you don't have one. Um, very short registration period we have here from 1 to 120, which we will condense. So this will move, has the opportunity to move along a little quicker than what we have in the agenda here today. Um, each of the presenters will be given 20 minutes to present. Um, I would ask that you hold your questions until the end of all presentations um, this afternoon. You'll hear from Ina Pratt, uh, Library Grants Collection. Maryland Heritage Area Programs is here today. Baltimore National Heritage Area. Maryland State's Arts Council. The Maryland Historical Trust. Um, and also Ann will be speaking about the uh, African American Heritage Preservation Grant Program with the Maryland Commission on African American History and Culture. And then finally, I'll speak about the Maryland Humanities Council's Grants Program. So there's a wide range of organizations here today with a wide range of funding. Uh, again, hopefully you'll find something that will fit your needs. So next up is Aaron, and I will not even try to say your last name. <laughs> I will leave that to you from Ina Pratt. All right, so 20 minutes? Okay, 20 minutes. Okay. All right, well, again, thank you all so much for coming today. Um, I know it's hazardous out there and it's looking to get more so this weekend so again I thank you very much um, so my presentation is going to be a little bit different uh, coming from Enoch Pratt I am more of a resource provider than an actual grant provider um, but I do act as kind of an information source so basically what I am oh my last name is Dagger Mansion by the way don't worry about it first name is Aaron I am, and I am the grants collection librarian at Enoch Pratt primarily at the central branch um, and at the Central Branch, we have about 500 circulating items, so books that you can check out, uh, having to do with grants, fundraising, nonprofit management, uh, arts management, that kind of thing. So kind of related to all topics related to those fields. Uh, so you're welcome to stop by and check them out. You can also check them out from your own local branches. We can ship them out to you. Um, so if you're interested in kind of general <coughs> overviews of your field, uh, we can always do that. We also do periodicals as well. Uh, some of the services we provide, uh, you can schedule half an hour appointments with me if you need help with some of the basics of grant writing or finding grants or starting up your nonprofit. I've, how many of you are already registered nonprofits? I think most of you, a lot of you are at least. Okay, all right. So if you haven't started up your own nonprofit and that's something you might want to do, you can always come talk to me. I can give you some resources on that, in that area. I can also point you towards other people that can help get you registered. Um, as far as finding grants, 
we provide a few different things. Let me pull that up here. So for finding grants, we do a few different things. Um, again, we do provide one hour appointments so that I can walk you through all of the resources that we have. Sorry? nothing too important on the screen, but you don't have to look at it, it's fine. Um, but so we provide one hour appointments for anyone who has any of those general questions. If you do have more advanced questions that I might not be able to answer, um, I do have a list of contacts that I keep, so I can always point you to someone who knows more than me. So you're more than welcome to schedule those appointments with me. Um, you are also uh, able to come into the Central Branch Library to use the Foundation Directory online. Is anyone familiar with the Foundation Directory? Got a few people. So it is a comprehensive foundation database. So this is primarily going to be independent foundations. Um, and it is the most, I believe it's one of the most comprehensive in the United States. It also works internationally as well, where you can actually search for grant makers um, again, foundations and also corporations that offer grants. Um, you do have to use it within the four walls of the central library, so it is something you have to come in for. But if you get my contact information and you'd like me to run a general search and email you the results, I'm more than willing to do that as well. Um, just to give you an idea of what the database looks like, I'm gonna pop on over here. So. There is a free version of this database that you can use at home to look for grants. It's not gonna give you all the information that you need, because that's, I guess that's their business model. Um, what you will get with the full version is you can, so you can search grant makers. So let's say we're gonna search foundations. And the nice thing about that is you can actually some of the biggest, the most important things when you're searching for grants, of course, are geographic focus, so where you're working, the area you're working in. So we can say Maryland. And then field of interest, if we wanna say, you can actually choose from a lot of the options up here. So if we wanna say, we'll keep it simple for right now, we'll say, oops, art and music therapy, that could be something. And then support strategy, what you're actually going to spend your money on. Um, so let's just say program, program development. That's a nice catch-all term. Um, so if we look at this as our example, we can do a general search. <laughs> Zero results. Okay. So not the best search I've ever done. Um, <laughs> Let's take out, okay, here we go. Yeah, so we've got arts and music therapy. So you're gonna get some really interesting results with this database. So if we click here, um, you're gonna get an actual person that you can contact. You can call them, you can email them, however they prefer to be contacted. That's a little bit hard to do, you just using Google. So that's one of the benefits of this database. Um, you're gonna get limitations. So in this case, 
not giving in Maryland, but that's okay, just an example. Um, you're gonna get purpose and activities. And you're also gonna get application information. So there are a lot of different ways to use this database and the Foundation Center, which is the organization that we partner with at Pratt, um, also offers the Foundation Grants to Individuals database. So if you're just an artist, you're not with an organization, you're just looking for arts grants for you. Um, you can use the Foundation Grants to Individuals database. There's also the Foundation Maps database for those who want to dig a little bit deeper. So there are a lot of really neat tools that we offer at the Pratt. They're all free to use. Again, the downside is you do have to actually come into the four walls of the building. It's not remote access like a lot of the databases are. Um, but you can schedule time on the foundation computer that we set aside specifically for that purpose, or you can use any of the other computers in the building. So, but then other than that, so those are some of the tools that you can come in and use anytime. We also offer lots of classes and events. So today is an example of one of the events that we offer. Next Tuesday, we're doing a class on storytelling for grant seekers. So for those of you who are new to writing grants, um, if you're unfamiliar with the process, you really do kind of have to tell a story, why you do what you do, why people need what you do, and why you really, really need that funding. Um, and the better you can tell that story, the more likely you are to convince people of your mission. So we're actually having a guest speaker come in next Tuesday to talk about that. Um, we do all kinds of events. Uh, make sure you check our events tab. There's a whole tab for specifically for nonprofit management and fundraising. There it is. So nonprofit management and fundraising classes. Make sure you check here to see what's coming up. Um, we're going to be all over the city now because our meeting rooms at the Central Branch are closed. So we'll be all over the place. We'll be in the neighborhoods. Um, I also do things throughout the state. And I am also, if you are interested, more than willing to come to your organization to show your organization how to use the foundation database. That is also something we, we do. So if you, your organization has your own subscription, which some do, um, I can come out and show you how to use it. All right. Thank you very much. And I think, uh, Paula, you're up next, I believe. Is it? Oh, okay. Sorry. Switched around. What time next Tuesday? Next Tuesday is at 1 o'clock. So actually, next we have Jen Ruffner, who is with the Maryland Heritage Area Program. I was trying to see if my clicker would work and it won't, so I will just stand here. 
So my name is Jen Ruffner, and I am the Assistant Administrator of the Maryland Heritage Areas Program, and uh, I'm very glad to be here with you today. Um, I had three handouts <coughs> back on the uh, table, including our project grant instructions manual, um, as well as the long version of this presentation, which if you are really interested, I have a recorded webinar version available on the MHT website, the Maryland Historical Trust website. Um, so that's what the slides are. This is a condensed version of that presentation. Um, and I also have a blue sheet back there that you can use um, to figure out if matching funds are state or non-state funds. Um, so to begin with, I wanted to go over what a heritage area is. The Maryland Heritage Areas Program was set up as a way to encourage economic development through heritage tourism. So the program is looking at authentic place-based experiences relating to heritage, history, culture, natural resources, everything that sort of falls into that heritage um, category. The 13 heritage areas in the state are locally designated and then certified at the state level. Uh, we're currently in the Baltimore National Heritage Area and you'll hear more about that specifically from Paula Hankins. But you can see from the map um, that uh, there are many different sizes and shapes of heritage areas. And the key eligibility requirement for our program is that your project must be located within the boundaries of a heritage area. So the very first thing you need to do to see if this is a grant program for you is to figure out if your project is taking place in the boundaries of a certified heritage area. If you're not sure, you can contact any of the Heritage Area staff, myself, Richard Hughes, who's the administrator. Um, we can both help you with that and help you figure out if you're gonna be eligible for our grants. <clears throat> the program is overseen by the Maryland Heritage Areas Authority, which is an independent state entity. Uh, it's a 19 member body with representatives from nine state agencies. And the program receives up to $3 million annually. Uh, which means that if we get full funding in a particular year, we have about $2.7 million available for grant funds. So, who is eligible? After determining if your project is located within a certified heritage area, um, you need to be a nonprofit, a local government, a state agency, or a federal agency in order to be eligible for our grants. Unfortunately, we cannot give grants to individuals or businesses, although we do have a loans program which might be a possibility um, in those cases. <coughs> we fund two primary types of projects, non-capital and capital. And non-capital is kind of a, an odd term because it's basically defined by what it isn't, which is it's not bricks and mortar type projects, which means it's basically everything else. So planning, exhibits, brochures, technology, um, events, archeology, span all of that falls into the non-capital category. If you have a non-capital project, you are eligible to apply for up to $50,000. All of our grants do require a one-to-one -one match of non-state support, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a few slides. We also can fund capital projects, which are bricks and mortar projects, um, pre-development, acquisition of property, uh, work on planes, trains, and automobiles, any kind of capital work falls into this category. Um, if you are coming in for a capital project, you need to be aware that you may be required to convey an easement to the Maryland Historical Trust on the property if it's a historic property. 
Uh, you may be required to go through what's called Section 106 or Compliance Review, which is a review done by the Maryland Historical Trust to ensure that there are no adverse effects on historic property. Um, but the property does not need to be historic to be eligible. It does need to be a heritage tourism project because that's the core of our program. But we can also fund new construction, um, so that's important to keep in mind. For these types of projects, you can apply for up to $100,000, again, with that one-to-one -one match required. Within those two broader categories, we have three subcategories. Your projects do not need to be in one of these three subcategories, but if they are, we'll ask you a few extra questions, and they include education, archaeology, and natural resources. Um, just a few things to keep in mind if you're doing an education project we need to see that you're working with the schools we want to make sure that if we're funding an education project the schools support it and they're going to use that project uh, if you're doing an archaeology project you need to follow the standards for archaeology in Maryland uh, another thing to note with archaeology and any other kind of research-based project is you need to show us what the public components going to be because we can't fund strictly research projects because again we're all about heritage tourism. And so if it's just research, it's harder to make that link to heritage tourism. But you can make a direct link to an end product that is a heritage tourism product. Um, and natural resources projects, we want to see that you're tapping into any local planning efforts related to natural resources with your projects. So if you're thinking of a project in these three categories, you might want to have a conversation with staff just to make sure that you're on the right track. <coughs> Things that we can't pay for. Oh, it did indeed. That, I think, is the projector and not me. I will keep talking, and hopefully the screen will come back. Um, so things that we can't pay for. We are not able to pay for overhead fees for your organization. So that's your rent, your utilities, um, anything like that. Uh, we also can't pay for your staff salaries, but you are able to include those as part of your project match. And for our program, staff salaries working on the project can be included as a part of your cash match, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, and if you're working with a partner organization and they're providing staff time as consultants, we can pay for their staff time or their staff time can be part of your in-kind match. <clears throat> we also can't pay for project marketing. But again, we encourage you to include that as part of your match. That's something that, you know, obviously if we're funding a great project, we want to make sure that you're telling everyone about it. Very briefly about matching funds, and maybe we can have the lights on until they figure out the projector just so you can see. Um, so this way you can at least follow along in the handouts <laughs> a little bit. Um, the matching requirements, again, it's a one-to-one -one match. So that means for every dollar of state funds that you're requesting, you need to provide a dollar of non-state support. And the way ours is broken down is you have to provide 75% of that as cash match, which is cash expenditures. You bought something, you paid for something, um, and staff time working on the project. And then you can have up to 25% be in-kind match, which includes uh, things like volunteer time, donated supplies, donated services. If you have a professional who's giving you a reduced rate, the difference between their full time, their full rate and the reduced rate, that's in-kind match. So any of those things can also be part of your match. So don't feel like if you're coming in for $100,000, you have to have $100,000 of cash in the bank. You can also have staff time and this 25% in-kind um, to help you achieve that one-to-one -one match. We also, in the application, if you go through the whole process, 
We also ask you for what's called other project costs or overmatch. And we realize that a lot of times a project's going to cost more than the amount you're requesting from the state, the amount of required match you have. There may be an additional amount above and beyond that. So if you have a $150,000 project and you're asking for $50,000 for the grant, you're matching that with another $50,000. That third $50,000, that's the other project cost. And we're going to ask you about that because we want to see what we're leveraging with state funds and we want to get a better picture of what the whole project's going to cost. So make sure that you fill that part in as well. <clears throat> we do require that you uh, provide documentation of your match and that has to be in hand or fully committed at the time of award. So we set a deadline of June 15th to provide that documentation. And that basically means that you need to show us that you've got money in the bank or you've gotten a non-state grant or you have a donor who's willing to commit that. And if your primary source of funds is not available, we allow you to give us documentation for a backup source of match. So if you have an endowment that you can tap into if your primary source of match falls through, that is acceptable as well. In terms of the timeline for our grants, we have a two-step application process, and the first step is due in just about a week um, on January 29th, but don't panic. It is a very easy first step. It's the intent to apply. It's due on January 29th, and it is a one-page form. It is very quick, very easy, and it commits you to nothing. So if you are thinking of applying for one of our grants, I encourage you to fill out the intent to apply form. The good news is you can put down whatever you want on that intent to apply form, and if you change your mind and go in a completely different direction by the time you get to a full application, you can change all the details. So don't feel like you have to have it all figured out to submit an intent to apply form. That's just the first step. So if you have even an inkling that you're thinking of applying for one of our grants, please submit that intent to apply form because if you don't, then we can't move you on to the full application. But if you do and then change your mind and decide not to move forward, that's fine too. So that is available on our website. You'll go to the Maryland Historical Trust website under funding and grants. And there is a link that you will click to begin your intent to apply form because we have a now have an online grant application process. Once you've completed the intent to apply form, you will um, have a full application sent to you online and you'll be able to complete that if you decide to move forward. Those applications are due um, late February, early March. It depends on the heritage area. And for Baltimore, the deadline is March 1st. So you have until March 1st to complete the full application. And it's a much longer application than the intent to apply. So that will take you some time. So I encourage you, if this sounds like something that's going to work for your organization, you want to get started right away because it is a fairly long process. Once those applications are submitted, they go through a local review process. After that local review, your local heritage area may come back to you and say, we've got some changes we think you should make. If that happens, we encourage you to listen to those suggestions because they are trying to make your application more competitive. So you'll have an opportunity to make changes, you'll resubmit, and then your application goes through a review process at the state level. That process concludes when the Maryland Heritage Areas Authority meets on July 7th, and that's when they make the grant awards. And that's an important date because that's the date, if you are successful, your project can begin. That's the day you can begin spending your matching funds. Ooh, we have a picture. <laughs> that's the date you can spend your matching funds, and that's the date that the project begins. So 
As you're planning your project out, keep in mind that you can't begin anything, including any matching fund work, until that July 7th date. And just to give you sort of a sense of the timeline, if you do get a grant award because it impacts how your project flows, once the grants are awarded, if you are successful, you will probably will not see a signed grant agreement, a contract with the state, until the fall. So mm -hmm. Thanksgiving at the latest, hopefully. That also means that you will not have a first payment from the state until probably about this time next year. So again, when you're thinking of how your project is going to play out, you need to keep in mind that you're going to be either treating the state funds as reimbursable or spending your match funds up front because you may not have grant funds for quite some time. So in the handouts, you have the whole list. So if any of you are from a different heritage area other than Baltimore, all of the deadlines are here. But as I said, Baltimore's deadline is March 1st. And a really important thing to keep in mind with our grants is that any project that you propose needs to be consistent with the goals and objectives of your local heritage area. So one of the first things you need to do is make sure that you are talking to your local heritage area staff. And you're going to hear from Paula in just a minute. And the reason you need to do that is so that you can make sure your project fits in with the plans of the Baltimore National Heritage Area, if that's your heritage area. Because that's going to be a key um, criterion that we look at in the review process. Other things that we look at, we look at the significance of the project and the urgency and the amount of need for the project. Uh, we look at how well the project is designed. Have you really thought it out? Do you know what it's going to cost? Are you working with the right people? We look at your organization's project management abilities. Have you had grants with us before? Have you submitted reports on time? Have you had other grants with other granting organizations? Uh, do you have the capacity in your organization to manage this project? We will look at the deliverables and impact. So what, what are we getting with our grant funds? What, what's the end product? Um, how is it going to impact your organization, your community, and your heritage area? Uh, again, if you have education, natural resource, or archaeology projects, we'll ask those special questions about are you working with schools, are you working with trained archaeologists, those kinds of things. And again, because this is a heritage tourism program, we do look at the public benefit. So who is the audience for this project? How will they benefit? Is there a public tourism element to your project? <clears throat> We also look at whether or not your project connects with broader initiatives. We just have wrapped up uh, the War of 1812 commemorations, which I'm sure everyone is well and truly tired of at this point. But um, there are certainly other uh, efforts that you may be coordinating with. You may be doing a project in a Main Street community. Uh, you may be on a scenic byway. Um, so those kind of things you'll want to talk about in your application. And if you have a capital project, we have something called targeted investment criteria. You must meet one of these four criteria in order to be eligible for capital funds. So you need to demonstrate that your project overlaps with other investment, uh, sorry, other designations, again, historic districts, priority funding areas, A&E districts, all of those kinds of things. Um, it could contribute to uh, an initiative where there's already been a significant amount of public investment. It could be a part of a concentration of historic resources. And when we say concentration of resources, we're thinking fairly small concentration. So rather than sites related to the Civil War, we're thinking sites related to the Antietam campaign. So think sort of local rather than broad concentrations. 
or that you could uh, make the argument that your project is going to be a catalyst for future investment. So are you the first ones in the door on something that's going to be really huge in a few years? So that's my whirlwind version of my presentation. Again, the full version is available um, as a recorded webinar. I do apologize when I recorded it. I was getting over the flu, so my voice is even raspier than it is now. Um, but hopefully you can hear all of it. The handouts, again, have the full presentation as well. And at the end of the day, I'm happy to answer questions um, as you have them. to make it oh there it is sorry I couldn't see the icon okay all right well hello everyone I'm Paula Hankins I'm the grants administrator for Baltimore National Heritage Area and I'm very thankful to Jen because she took like the first half of my presentation I don't have to explain a heritage area <laughs> um, but I will explain our area in particular because each heritage area has certain themes um, that it chooses to um, to support and, and, and grow, um, and it's the themes that make your designated geographic area special. So, um, we talked about that. This is blurry, but this is a map <laughs> of the Baltimore National Heritage Area, and there is a, a folded map and guide of this image in the back you can pick up. Um, we, we have very wonky uh, borders, um, as we try to uh, encompass uh, historic resources, uh, natural resources that help define our themes. Um, and I will say that these borders go under review um, every few years or so. So if you are not within our borders and you can have a really strong argument about why you should or why your neighborhood should, um, you are welcome to call and tell me that and I will put you on the list for discussion. Um, but we have four themes. Upholding independence, which ties into the War of 1812. Um, seeking prosperity, which is about immigration and the movement of people into the area. Shaping the monumental city. The idea of Baltimore as an industrial hub and innovation, you know, railroad. Think of all the great firsts that happened in Baltimore. And then gaining freedom for all, where we talk about um, our stories in the Civil War all the way up to civil rights and beyond. So we have very broad themes, and that's because we want to be as inclusive as possible. Um, our main goals, and this ties into being a state heritage area, or national heritage area, heritage tourism. Jen mentioned it, but I want to mention it again, because I've seen a lot of great proposals come to us, but it doesn't have a public benefit. And when you go to a grantor, you really have to understand what our purpose is and what drives us and our we have been we have been told we are being created to boost economic tourism or economic development through tourism so if you can't help us do that we can't give you money so <laughs> really think about 
is this going to bring people into the site? Are they going to then go eat at the restaurant down the street from me? You know, are we going to have a festival and really generate some activity in our neighborhood? Um, stewardship, we want to protect our historic and natural resources for the future. We really want our neighborhoods to be, as my boss would say, visitor re ready and visitor friendly, but also a place that residents want to move to. I mean, this is, we're bringing new people in, but we want people to come in and stay and invest in Baltimore. Um, and we interpret Baltimore as a city where American identity was forged and refined. I mean, we have a great American story, and we've flying under the radar, but we all know how great it is, so we have to get out there and talk about it. And then, um, as the Heritage Area, we promise to manage ourselves well, so we'll be around for a long time to keep handing out money to all of you. All right, we're, our, we're involved in three grant programs. Jen already talked about the Maryland Heritage Area Authority's project grant, state funds, and we are the first stop. Your applications will go into their, their online portal website, but your proposals will come to us first, and you will be reviewed by um, a group of 17 people who live and work in Baltimore and are involved in the arts and culture and preservation and tourism and planning and education. I've got somebody from everybody. And you know we know our city and we know our neighborhoods, so it comes to us and we're gonna ask all these hard questions of it and, um, and give you a ranking. And that ranking will be you know a good portion of your final score as you go on to the state. Um, just to give you an idea, last year I think we had 17 from the Baltimore National Heritage Area, and then Jen up at the state, it was 102. Oh, yeah, so, so the competition is stiff, um, but we want to help you as much as we can. I, for, for my own, I want to focus on the two grant projects or grant programs that the National Heritage Area manages um, in-house. The first is our small cap grant project. This is funded by city bond money. So when you go to the polls and it says, would you endorse this $40 million bond for our arts and culture and historic resources, that money, some of that money is coming to us so that we can then help small institutions make targeted investments to um, repair their historic structures. The other one that's brand new, we've only been doing it for about a year, is our heritage investment grants. This is federal money that comes to us because we are a designated national heritage area. Yay, federal money. <laughs> and this we use for non-capital grants. So we have two um, small grants, and both of them can be matched, can be used to match the state, which is what we're trying to help you do. Um, finding out about our grants, please go to our website, explorebaltimore.org. You'll see this red, it's red, grant opportunities click on that it'll take you to the three opportunities and tell you about our grant programs you can click on any of them and I'm going to do the heritage investment grant it gives you everything you would need about eligible who's eligible thank you and what we are going to fund and then down here are all these hot links how to create an online account to submit your proposal um, I have a budget form which I from Jen, thank you Jen, um, that I want you to use when you submit your budget. Um, if I have a workshop, the hot link to register will be there, so it's all one-stop shop um, for the individual grant. All right, these are very similar to the, the state's um, uh, parameters for grants, so I'm just gonna slide through. 
small cap, again, acquisition, buying something, developing something, preserving something, restoring something, we can give up to $15,000, and it does need to be matched one-to-one -one with cash. We don't do in-kind for our small cap, okay? There's a picture of the constellation getting repaired. Heritage investment grants, planning, this is Patterson Park, interpretation, programming, and also, and this is really great, we do a small portion of operating grants. This is pay my staff, pay my electricity bill. Um, it's only up to $10,000, but it's the easiest money <laughs> you can get from us. Um, if you do a project through inheritance investment, it's $15,000. Um, I will tell you, the operating grants, we are looking for small. I mean, if you've got a $200,000 or $500 or $1 million operating budget and you come to us for $10,000, you're not going to get it. Because we are looking for the small organization that says, we've had a volunteer director, we've had a part-time director, we want to grow, this is what we want to use it for, will you give us that boost up? And, and those are the organizations that we're looking for for the operating grant. You can only apply for the operating grant every other year because we want to spread the love. Um, and you cannot apply for the Heritage Investment Grant if you have one currently open and with us. So we're not going to let you carry two Heritage Investment Grants at the same time. Okay? The idea is to get as much money out to different groups in the city. Um, for Heritage Investment, we also have the subcategories for education, archaeology, and natural resources that follow the same parameters as Jen was talking about. Um, our grants are only open to nonprofits. We don't give grants to government entities or individuals. Um, Got to be within our boundaries and trust, call me up. I've done it before. We'll open up Google Maps. We'll find your address. I've had people right on the edge and I'm like, you've just made it <laughs> to make a grant. Um, you have to be in good standing with the state. Did you file all your papers? Did you file your charity's registration and your personal property taxes or anything else the state requires? You've got to have all your ducks in a row. Um, the 17 people who are sitting around the table are going to judge you, rate you, on a scale of 1 to 5 on these sections. Clarity. Do we understand what you're asking for? Consistency. Does it identify itself? Or can you relate to our comprehensive management plan? This is a massive document but it's all online, it's all in PDF form. We've even segmented out the different sections. So you can go to the section on interpretive themes, do a control find, and type in your site, type in your neighborhood, type in uh, historic churches, type in trails, type in, um, I was looking for a woman in Leakin Park. We were looking at Leakin Park and Gwen's Falls trails. Just do searches for yourself. Find yourself in the plan. And when you write your proposal, tell us exactly where you are. On page 68 in section 4 on the interpretive theme of immigration, we are listed in the Fells Point Historic District. I'm sort of pulling this out of the air. But I want to know that you read our plan. I want to know that you went to find how you could make our job easier by supporting our goals. So find yourself in the plan. Don't, don't say, yes, we are all about immigration because that will not fly, and, and, and you, can't, you can't blow smoke and mirrors at these people. They, it just doesn't work. Is it urgent? Methodology. Does your scope of work 
the people who are going to do it and your budget add up. I've had some great projects come forward and people say, I love this project, but there's no way they're gonna get this done in the next six months. I mean, there's no way. Why should we take $10,000 from a project that's ready and we know it's gonna work and give it to these folks and it's just gonna either fritter away or go on forever and never get done? You've gotta have a real project and it's gotta add up. Leverage. Will your project leverage private investment? You mentioned the one-to-one -one match. This seems really tedious, you know, the whole how much other money will you bring in, but this leverage is what lets us get you more money. When we, when we have to write to the people who give us money, we say, look, and it's in our report in the back, our small cap grant, for every dollar we gave out for our small cap grant, 14 extra dollars was invested in Baltimore. One to 14. I mean, that's a huge return on investment. So when we have to go to City Hall and say, please, we really want to be included in this bond bill, we have an impact in our community, look at what our grantees have given back to us. You know, they, we gave them 10 and they had a $30,000 project, that's a two to one return. So it's really important for us to know what your project is really worth because you are blood, sweat, and tears in making the city better. Are you ready? And again, heritage, tourism, value. You gotta bring in the people. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not gonna read through all of these, but in the back, I had this, I came across through a friend, these 10 writing tips, um, and the full tips are uh, in a printout in the back, and I suggest you take them and read them. I do writing all the time, and I still reread them. When you send in your proposal, you're, you are going to be among, like I said, 17 other proposals. And somebody's gonna have to spend a couple of their weekends, and it usually takes like a good four days, reading and concentrating on what you're asking for. And if you make it hard to get through that proposal, they're just gonna write you off. I, I'm so sorry to say this, they will read the first page and they'll be like, I don't get this. What is this? They'll look at your budget and say, they just put one lump sum. There's no detail in their budget. I don't know who they're paying. What's going on? And they, they just won't give you the time of day. Think of like you're writing to a fifth grader. Short on attention, short on time, short on caring. Well, they do care. But you know, I mean, you gotta get in there and say, I need $15,000 to save this building from falling down. You know, this was where so-and-so made this famous speech and you know, we've gotta save it. Be passionate, put it right up front. Don't hide behind little stories. You want something, put it out in front. Be bold. You know, you've got a mission. Share it. And you'll see that in there, you know? Eliminate the weasel words. Cite examples. Use I, we, you. This is you, personal you, talking to personal person, person, that sounds funny, on the grant committee. You need to make a personal connection with them. I care about this. You should care about this. Not like the organization is going to do this and the people are gonna benefit. I mean, that's so amorphous, you know? My kids go to this school and they need to do this and you know, it's gonna serve 20 kids and blah, blah, blah. You know, make it, cite, like I said, cite the numbers, eliminate the reason words. Um, strongly recommend you look that over and take it to heart. Um, budget, matching. This is um, the sample budget that you will download from our website. I try to make it really simple. Your grant request, 
your match must be equal or greater than your grant request, and then the total, it'll automatically total it for you, will be in this column. Um, we also don't cover costs for staffing in the grant, or um, sometimes we do marketing. Oh. But staffing is really um, sort of off bounds for um, grant funds, but you can use it for matching. Um, the more detailed your budget is, the more that you can show your project through the numbers, the easier it is for the grant review committee to, um, to understand what's going on. And if they cannot give you everything, how much could they take away and you could still finish it? You know, well maybe we can't pay for their video, but we could pay for this and they could still serve the people, they just wouldn't have the glossy video to go with it. Let us know, because we might be rooting for you, but we can't give you everything, so break it down. Give us a story in the numbers. And I, I don't know how this comes up out there for you, but I wanted to show samples of documentation of expenses, all right? This is, again, a tedious point of grant reporting, but I love this woman who worked in government, so when she sent this to me, I was like, this is so great, thank you so much. When you write to me and say, I need some of my grant money, and I say, send me the documentation of your expenses, I mean, I need to see that money left your account and went somewhere else. A canceled check, front and back, a receipt from the store, volunteer time and staff time, Days, hours, tasks written down, totaled up. You know, I make $25 an hour, I worked 40 hours, bam, write it out. That's the type of documentation that I need. And what's really great is when people put it in order of their budget so I can just check down the budget lines and check it off. So, um, dates. Our heritage, uh, right now we're all in the state heritage um, project grants, which I'm more than happy to talk to you about if you have a project in Baltimore National Heritage Area's area. Our next grant line will be the Heritage Investment Grants, which will open on April 4th. I will have a workshop soon after, and they will be due March, or May 25th. And then in the fall, we'll open the small cap grants, um, and they'll be due November 1st. We try to organize our calendar so that if you get one of these grants, you can use it as a match for the state grant. But as Jen was saying, you have to be really careful about um, when you spend money on your project, because if you spend it outside of the grant period, it's not eligible. I had somebody say, well, we just, we got this drawing done and we're gonna use it to you know, build our project. I can use that, right? And I was like, nope, you've already done it. You don't have the grant yet. You don't have a grant contract. This is, this is not eligible. So be really careful when you get your money in, think, can I spend it yet? What other money am I waiting for? Because you know contracts can overlap and cause snafus. And I think that's it. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Paula. Next up, we have Steve Topalski from the Maryland State Arts For those of you who are grantees already of the Maryland State Arts Council and you've seen this same um, presentation, my apologies. Okay, so for those of you, um, I'm Steve Drapolsky. I'm the program director for performing arts grants with the Maryland State Arts Council. Um, I'm in charge specifically of music, dance, and theater, but 
Um, I can speak to any of the disciplines that we fund after um, you know, all of the presentations today. Um, just to give you an overview of the Maryland State Arts Council, uh, we were established in 1967. We celebrate our uh, 50th anniversary next year. Um, we're an agency of the state of Maryland um, based within the Department of Commerce's Division of Tourism, Film, and the Arts. Um, we're located in Baltimore, right near M&T Stadium, um, and we're governed by a council of 17 Maryland citizens. Our mission is to encourage and invest in the advancement of the arts uh, for the people of our state. We further the mission primarily by awarding grants to nonprofit, tax-exempt organizations for arts programming and arts projects. Um, we administer a variety of programs that enhance the cultural life, of course, um, of Maryland citizens. So today I'll primarily speak about our Grants for Organizations program as it is our flagship program, but we also have a myriad um, of other programs as you can see. Um, we have, again, the Grants for Organizations program, which will be referred to as GFO throughout the rest of this. Um, arts and Entertainment Districts, which is um, 24 designated districts across the state. Um, where the arts and culture are used as a means of boosting the um, economy in those areas. Arts and education, which is artist performances and residencies in schools. Um, Maryland Touring Grant, which is another program that I'm in charge of, um, which is support for Maryland presenters to um, show Maryland-based artists. Again, funneling money back into the economy of our state. Community Arts Development Grants, um, Folk Life Maryland Traditions, uh, Individual Artist Awards, which are grants from $1,000 to $6,000, um, awarded in a myriad of disciplines. Um, Poetry Out Loud, which is a statewide student um, competition. And then Public Art, and then also we have, this is new, a Maryland Artist Registry and Marketplace. So the Grants for Organization program uh, provides annual operating grants to organizations that produce or present the arts to the general public um, through public programs or services. In fiscal year 16, we awarded over $11 million to roughly 250 organizations in Maryland. Um, we actually are the fourth um, highest um, in terms of per capita funding for the arts out of the entire United States, fourth highest uh, state, which is a great accomplishment. Um, in order to receive funding, you have to be a designated non-for-profit, tax exempt by the IRS, uh, be incorporated in Maryland, um, have been incorporated um, as a non-profit before March of, uh, 31st of 2015, and everything I'm speaking to now is, uh, pertains to our next grant cycle. Unfortunately, we're for fiscal year 17 upcoming, we are already in the process of reviewing grants. So this is really speaking to the future. Um, and then you have to comply with anti-discrimination uh, and Americans with Disabilities legislation. And then, of course, credit us on the website, you know, different areas, publications, things like that. So there are three primary types in this program. We have general operating grants. Um, arts program grants and basic grants. In this program, you can see the myriad of disciplines we award, um, art services, children events, dance, folk and traditional arts, literary arts, media, multidisciplinary, um, music, theater, and then visual arts. So uh, the division of the program into these three types is based on um, efforts to basically fairly and equitably evaluate applications from different types of arts producing organizations. Uh, with different size operating budgets. The guidelines for um, this program are in the back. Um, it's a very thick document as we are related to a state agency, um, but I'm happy to answer any questions if you um, peruse through it and um, have any questions. Um, before we cover each grant type, there are two important things to define and clarify about the program. Um, you don't request a specific amount, so it's based on the application type and reviews by the Arts Council staff and advisory panels, and then allowable expenditures. Grants are calculated and awarded based on 
um, your organization's allowable expenditures. So things like capital, um, if you're doing a capital campaign, things like depreciation on equipment, things like that are not included. We would remove that from your allowable um, eligible budget amount. So for general operating grants, um, it's, their primary purpose is to uh, produce or present arts programming to the public. These organizations will have allowable expenses of greater than $50,000. Um, the awards are calculated as a percentage of the applicant's organization's allowable expenditures from its most recently completed fiscal year. So for example, for people in fiscal year 17, you would have submitted your fiscal year 15 financials, or if you were a calendar year, you'd do 14. Um, it's assumed that you're requesting 10% of your general operating budget. Again, we're one of the few arts councils that still gives out purely general operating grants. We don't support projects, um, aside from the other programs we offer. So 10% is a goal we've had for a long time, but we've been able to reach 7% in the past two years, which is, again, really great. <clears throat> um, so the, the maximum percentage we're able to award each year is determined by a number of factors, um, including what we get approved by the state legislature, um, the panel reviews that we have, and then the number of applicants to the program along with, of course, their budget sizes. Moving on to the second type, um, arts program grants are non-arts organizations that provide ongoing arts activities um, with allowable expenses of more than $50,000. So this could be an arts program of a university, this could be, um, for example, another entity of government, uh, and again, it's calculated as a percentage of your um, allowable expenditures. The minimum arts program grant award is $1,000, as well as general operating grants. Um, most of the activities of the program have to take place in Maryland. Um, like I said, units of government, churches who have, say, a concert series, um, colleges and universities can apply for this. And lastly are our basic grants. Um, and these are for our smaller organizations, and we do have several of them out of the 250 we fund. Um, it's for uh, arts or non-arts organizations with budgets of $50,000 or less. Um, however, the overall budget um, or arts activities budget has to be greater than $2,000. Um, they're not calculated on the same scale that we do for the other grants. The minimum you can get is 1000 and the maximum is 2500 because obviously we wouldn't give a smaller organization the same we would give someone whose budget was $3 million, pending reviews and um, things like that. So for the review criteria, um, all the grants are evaluated by a grants review panel based on three things, artistic merit, organizational effectiveness and service to the community. Detailed descriptions are in the guidelines in the back, but also there's more information than you'll ever want on our website if you want to go on there and um, just dig into that. So the way this cycle works, um, we use a staggered three-year application cycle to conduct panel reviews. So there are circumstances, for example, in which an application will be evaluated by a panel on only a one-year basis. Um, in terms of three-year cycle, most GFO applicants have been longtime recipients of grants from us, and so they've been recommended for that three-year cycle. Um, the organizations with that status will submit an application that receives a full panel review every three years, and then the two years in between, they submit what we call a request for funding, which is a very watered-down, simplified, just an update on how things are progressing. Um, organizations that don't receive funding the previous year or are experiencing major organizational changes, say your ED leaves or um, you have a major deficit, something like that, um, you may be placed in a one-year cycle and then you're required to do a full application with the panel review um, the following year again. So for full um, GFO applications, it contains a longer narrative section with answers required for 15 questions for general operating and arts program grants and six questions for basic grants, again, because basic grants are smaller awards. 
Full applications receive a staff review, panel review, and then site visits from panelists. General Operating and Arts Program grants, uh, applicants will receive two site visits. The first is artistic, and the second is an in-depth. For the artistic visit, a grant panelist will attend a performance or exhibition, and then for in-depth, they'll actually meet with a person of your executive leadership to discuss your management and your finances and things like that. And then basic grantees actually, they only have a phone call with a panelist, so they're supposed to get as much information as I can in that 30-minute phone call about all of those um, criteria. So as I said, sadly, we are closed right now for accepting applications. It's a year-long process uh, for those of you who are maybe grantees. Um, but again, you can contact me anytime to find out when the upcoming deadlines are. In terms of tentative deadlines, September 2016 is when um, the attempt to apply for new applications and those that did not receive funding for the previous year. The attempt to apply is much like the others had said. It's, it's basically for us to determine if you're eligible or not based on our criteria. And then in October, um, those people submitting full applications will have their deadline. And then in December, um, those who are doing the request for funding will have to submit. We don't do it all at once because that would be insane um, to have them all do it at the same time. So we stagger it in that way. And these are, of course, subject to change. But this is, these are the months that they happen this, this past cycle. So we accept um, grants one uh, time per year, of course. The evaluation commences upon application submission in the fall, and then it's, it is a year-long process with decisions made in June and July. So for example, for applications submitted in the fall of next year, which would apply to those of you here in this room, the evaluation process would last through June and July, and then the grant recommendations are made, and you'll get a letter from us saying, yes or no, you receive funding. Um, those awards will be designated as FY18 awards because they'll support activities from July 1st of 17 to June 30th of 2018. And again, like right now, for example, we have panelists are feverishly, they've received their assignments, they're going to visit, you know, everyone, they're getting all the, their ducks in a row there. Then from March, April, early May, we have panel meetings, so it's really a long, so we have grantees that say, what's the decision like a month after? And we say, it's a whole long process. We do everything online um, in terms of our e-grant system. It's really, really user-friendly. It's been revamped this year. Um, everything has to be submitted electronically. Uh, there's a more detailed PowerPoint on our website. Um, actually, it's like a, it's a our, our executive director has a voice to it. Um, but it, it details exactly what to do, how to do a new account, how to log in, where you look for the different applications to apply, things like that. So this is just to let you know that this is the system we use for all of our grant applications. One thing um, which is good to mention now, um, even though it is a ways away to apply, the Cultural Data Project is a program of data arts, um, which is a new name they have as of January. This is a required document that has to be submitted with your application, and it is, for lack of a better phrase, a beast. There's lots of things you have to answer in terms of demographics of your organization, finances, um, things like that, and we can't evaluate your application until this is complete. They have a great technical staff. We're not affiliated with them directly, but a lot of organizations, especially on this, uh, on the East Coast, use this. It's really a way to gauge metrics in terms of how well you're doing against other arts program organizations of your size, but also it really makes the case for us to go to the government to get the funding that we get because the impact of what um, our arts organizations are doing is really evident through this culture data profile. So again, as I mentioned, provides resources to help you, helps you apply to funders more efficiently. A lot of people really are requiring this now, and that it introduces your organization's data and research about the cultural sector as a whole. 
So just so you know, we present four informational sessions about this program all across the state. We hit every kind of the four quadrants so that everybody can have a chance to learn more and, and actually engage with program directors. Typically, there's all of us there, not just me, so you could speak to everybody more in depth about their programs. Um, they're held late August to September. Um, then we also do a live Q&A telephone session where you send questions in ahead of time. We prepare to answer them, and you know it's kind of a facilitated discussion on the phone. There's my contact information. I have cards. If you um, have any questions about this program or the other programs I mentioned that are kind of more directed towards individuals or um, you know things like that, you can just come talk to me, and I'll let you know. Thanks.
$160,000 overall, then you would probably come in for a $75,000 grant, which you would then match with $75,000. But it's the match is based on the grant request and not the overall project. That said, we want to know what the overall project costs because we want to make sure that you actually are going to be able to do the whole project. Sort of as Paula said, if it, you know, we look at that and we say, well, there's no way they can actually do that with the amount of money or the amount of time that they've identified, then the reviewers are going to question whether or not it would be a successful project. So we want to see that whole picture. But it's, it sort of depends on where the funds are coming from, how much you want to come in for grant, how much you want to be matched, and how much you, know, you have other funds or it's in kind or you know, however you want to structure that budget. But we can work with you to help figure out what the balance should be. to the Baltimore area, but I've worked in other cities, and some of the stuff I'm listening to in this area just seems so different to me. So the question I have about historic preservation, uh, I'm clear that the building in which we have this church in, but there's a program we run there that's a 501c3. Connecting that organization to doing some major powerful work is that something that's a part of any one of? So if there's a heritage tourism kind of public component, it in theory could be our program. It also might be something um, you're going to hear from Ann Rains, um, and she's going to talk about the African American Heritage Preservation Program, and that might be another source of capital funds. It, it depends on sort of what's happening in the building. Is it still an active church? It's an active church. We feed every Thursday. We have an outreach ministry. We feed over 200 people. Uh, we get contributions around the, the, the city. Mm -hmm. So one of the things is now the people who are giving to us asking us now to do transportation. Mm -hmm. So we're needing van operated costs sure. for vans and staff members to actually drive, that kind of stuff, so that we can still do the work that we do. Because it's separate from the church. The church has its, it needs renovation, but where the program is, that area needs capital improvement. Right, and generally, so that wouldn't probably be a good fit for the Heritage Area Program, and generally most of our capital funding programs are for historic structure restoration, uh, specifically rather than sort of facilities maintenance kind of projects, but we can certainly talk to you and see if, if there's anywhere where it could. Okay, thank you. And, and also as far as the restoration of the actual building, <coughs> support for the services that you're providing, I'm not aware of. Um, necessarily support for that, but for the actual preservation of the building, there's also an organization, Preservation Maryland, that was, they weren't available to be here today, but they provide small grants for physical structures, historic structures to preserve and renovate or restore historic structures. Thank you. Preservation Maryland. Thank you. Any other questions? Yes. Do you also accept
I have another one, and this is from the Performing Arts. Uh, one of the things I know you say you'll deal with individual uh, grants later at another time, but as an individual working to do programs as an artist, I actually am working in three capacities. So my concern in helping this organization how do I allow myself to do individual, like if I'm directing the program, coordinating the program, the person who's trying to make sure the organization is solvent? Well, normally, again, I'm talking about programs. It's my understanding that the, the individual artist awards are based on artists that are, say, per, they're performing, so it would have to be, if you're, if you're directing or if you're leading the organization, it's, it's like a singer or a music, musical group or it's a writer or something like that. It's not someone that's facilitating somebody's actually performing live at gigs and things like that, you know, they have a history of performing. So the fact that I want to direct a Black History Month parade production and they want me but they don't have the money, I can't apply for an individual. Yeah, there's not a category for direct for directing, no. Can you say it? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Uh, show of hands, would anybody, would you like to take like a 10 minute break and stretch your legs and have a bathroom break or would you want to power through um, the other three percenters? Uh, those who are break. Yes, and those who want to power through. <laughs> and rings from the Maryland Historical out and buy bread and toilet paper, so I don't, <laughs> I don't want to hold anybody up here. And Anne is also going to speak about the um, African American Historic Preservation oh, Grant um, that's administered by the Maryland Commission on African American History and Culture. Okay, so... So who here has, is familiar with the African American Heritage Preservation Grants? Yay, very good. So for anyone who is actually interested in applying for one who hasn't attended one of our more in-depth workshops in the past, um, we do a, sort of a two hour long workshop and we do a series of five or six across the state in March. And um, we actually haven't released the applications yet, but we found out yesterday that the million dollars of the program is in the governor's budget for this year. So, <laughs> so uh, and, and we, it looks like, the projections look like we will have it for at least the next five years. So um, that's good news. And we should then probably within a week or two be able to put out all of our workshop locations and, um, and then information about the availability of the application itself um, as well as the deadline. So, um, 
I, I am speaking on behalf of the Maryland Historical Trust and the Maryland Commission on African American History and Culture. Um, we are actually partners in the, the grant program uh, in the sense that the Maryland Historical Trust administers the awards and uh, the application process and the commission uh, rates and ranks the applications and determines what will get funded. Uh, both the trust staff, i.e. me, and commission staff, who is Dr. Joni Floyd, are available to provide you with technical assistance in writing the application, to review a draft of the application, to help you understand what might, what might not be eligible and what might be competitive. So uh, the program is, and I'd like to say this up front, it is a bricks and mortar, uh, bricks and mortar grant program. So we are looking at existing buildings, whether they're historic or not, uh, new construction, uh, but the project itself or the property has to have a relationship to African American heritage. So there are a couple of different ways that a project could fit into this, and I'll talk about that more in a bit. But the program's mission is to encourage the identification and preservation of buildings, sites, and communities of historical and cultural importance to the African American experience in Maryland, which as you can see is fairly broad. There's some room in there for a lot of good stuff to happen. Uh, the program itself is, is not that old compared to uh, some of the ancientness that exists at the, at the trust, but uh, it was created in 2010, so we've had five years, five million dollars of good projects. And then last year in the session, the program was permanently reauthorized. For those of you who may have been familiar with the past iteration of the program, uh, we would accept applications in July of one year, and then you would have to wait until May or June of the next year to hear if you got an award. So with some changes we were able to make to the program, you will apply in July of this year, but you should be notified by November of this year whether you've whether you'll be getting an award or not. And the program does cap grant awards to $100,000 per project per year. Another uh, change that did come about with the reauthorization of the program is that we now have a provision for making emergency grants. Uh, we encourage anyone who has a project in mind to come in in the regular grant round. Uh, emergency grants will only be given for you know, an immediate demolition threat, um, uh, a very specific targeted opportunity, and not for something that could have been foreseen or anticipated at the time of the, of the previous grant round. <coughs> so when you're ready to apply, you will need to have a look at some very important documents. Uh, the first one you might want to look at is actually the grant guidelines. Uh, that is a PDF and it gives you some helpful hints about um, the, the eligibility of certain costs and so forth. It also gives an overview of the grant program itself. When you're ready to look at the online application, I suggest you actually start by looking at this other PDF, which is what we call the Quick Start Guide. So if you haven't applied for a grant before through the system that MHT uses and the heritage areas use, uh, then that will help you get started, like where do I find the place I log in, how do I sign up, uh, and, and things like that. So once you have created a, a username and password in the system, then you would be able to see um, 
within the grant software and choose an application, whether that's the Heritage Areas application or the African American Heritage Grant application. So as you will find then as you go through the application itself that there are instructions throughout the document. There are also little question marks and things that you can click on to get help or hints or understand how to answer the questions. So uh, again, this application is not online yet, but it will be online in the next couple of weeks. So how do you know if you are eligible? So we have four types of eligible entities, and of course, pay attention because every funder is gonna have a different, different requirements for eligibility. Um, we can accept applications from business entities and individuals, although like just about any source of state funding, which this is, we are looking for projects that have a high level of public benefit. Uh, additionally, if you have a business entity, whether that's a for-profit or a non-profit, you do have to be registered with the State Department of Assessments and Taxation and be in good standing. Uh, we are no longer accepting applications from organizations that are not yet registered. So you have to be, at the time you apply, you do have to be registered. So types of projects that can be funded, as, as promised, uh, I hope to give an example that will help uh, illuminate this a bit. Um, so properties that are assisted through this grant program do not have to be historic. They, they, may, be, they may be old, <laughs> they may be new, they may be not existing yet, as in you're going to build them, um, or they may be structures that are, are, have been designated, have been surveyed, it doesn't matter. Any type of, of building can be eligible for this program if you are housing a purpose that is significant to African American heritage. So you may, for example, have new construction of a museum for African American heritage. You may have rehabilitation of an existing building as a museum for African American heritage, or you may have an existing building which is significant to African American heritage, which you are restoring and using for some other purpose. So it's either the property or the project that need to have that relationship. Does that make sense, anybody? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we are able to fund your activities that are, as I said, capital bricks and mortar in nature. This is a restriction that comes from the funding source, which is capital bond money. So you can only use the funds to acquire a property, to rehabilitate or construct a property, and for pre-development costs, which I'll cover in the next slide, which are part of your capital project. So if you don't have a bricks and mortar project in mind, we can't really just fund your, your pre, your architectural services for some project that isn't going to happen, okay? So that'll be a little bit more clear when I tell you here that pre-development costs include historic structures, reports, and studies. So keep in mind, though, that that doesn't mean you can just apply to us to do a historic structures report on your amazing, fabulous, historic church. So that is only if you have a capital project that is part of this request. So we can also fund your plans and specifications for construction of restoration, preservation. If archeological investigations should be necessary in order for you to dig, to build a foundation or something, we can help with that. 
and in general, architectural design and engineering services. Uh, and you, can, you will find that including that in your grant request, including some consulting or pre-development costs, means that you then have a professional on your team who can assist you in meeting all the grant requirements, doing competitive procurement, and also can help protect your interests when you're doing you know, major construction projects like these. So uh, I, I do always recommend that grantees consider that. So there are invariably and most of the time projects that involve a property that the Maryland Historical Trust does consider historic. Um, those, those projects will have to conform to the Secretary of the Interior standards, which I could go on and on about, but generally this means retaining historic fabric where it still exists and any new construction or alteration would be sympathetic to the historic nature of the building. And additionally, uh, those types of projects that involve historic buildings require the conveyance of a preservation easement to MHT. And this, as you heard from Jen Ruffner, is also a requirement of the Heritage Areas Program. Uh, I'm not going to go into that in too much detail, but if there are any questions, I'm happy to answer them. So just like everybody else, we have projects that we can't fund. Uh, if you don't have a bricks and mortar project, then it isn't for us. If you have a project that is temporary in nature or will not last more than 15 years, um, then we can't fund that. That means that the physical life of the material should be at least 15 years. So we can't, for example, uh, help <coughs> you buy a temporary tent or something like that. Uh, the project should also be financially sustainable for at least 15 years, so you have to show us that that you will help this project uh, survive and last for at least 15 years. Um, we also will not fund projects involving historic properties that don't conform to the Secretary's standards. If you have a lovely historic church, uh, the Maryland Historical Trust is going to fall in love with it and not honor your grant request to tear it down. So uh, just, just keep these things in mind. If you have any doubts about what may or may not be considered historic, what may or may not fall under our purview, then you can certainly contact me and find out. We're also not able to fund projects that are already underway or have already been completed. This doesn't mean that you can't apply for funding for one phase of a multi-phase project, but uh, we, are, we are not interested in uh, coming into the middle of something uh, that's already um, you know, perhaps going, <laughs> going in the wrong direction, because that does sometimes happen. Um, special considerations. Uh, we, do, we do often find that we get grant applications and some noble soul wants to rescue a cemetery or something of that sort, uh, wants to put a new roof on a, on a little rundown schoolhouse, and unfortunately, we drill down a little bit and we find out that they have no idea who owns the property. So as, as I'm sure you can all understand, the state cannot pay somebody to just go onto somebody's property and undertake a project. So you have to make sure that you have ascertained who the property owner is. Uh, you don't have to own the property yourself. The person receiving, or the entity receiving the grant and the entity uh, owning the property don't have to be the same but you do have to have their permission. Um, 
this, this can be really tricky, especially because we can fund cemetery projects and things like that. So, um, and, and we also now are really drawing the line. You have to have that permission from the property owner before you can apply. So if you apply and you don't have that, you will not, you, you won't be eligible. Uh, I just spoke a little bit about cemeteries. Um, this is one of a very, I think, small number of funding sources that can actually assist a cemetery. But keep in mind that we are not funding your cemetery research, your genealogical research, and things like that. We are looking for a bricks and mortar project that has to do with cemetery, right? So that uh, that might mean uh, you want to, as as at Tolson's Chapel Cemetery, which is pictured here, um, they cleaned and restored and reset the monuments in their cemetery. They also did um, a survey with a ground penetrating radar machine that helped them establish where other burials were. So that's sort of considered capital work for a cemetery and can be eligible. However, keep in mind that you would still have to make an argument about the significance of the cemetery to African American heritage and some of, some of those associations are, are noted here to the side. Additionally, we can assist religious structures, but generally we are only able to assist work that's done to the outside or uh, significant structural repairs that may have an impact on the interior or have to be accessed from the interior. Um, we are not able to fund any work that needs to be done to your sanctuary. Uh, to your fellowship hall, etc., cetera, uh, spaces that are used for worship we cannot fund. Additionally, uh, if you have stained glass windows that have religious imagery, we can't fund those either. But if you have a stained glass window which is just colored glass or something of that sort, then we may be able to help. If you have a, a building which used to be a church, which is no longer a church, then we don't have any of these concerns. We can fund both interior and exterior work. Okay, so here comes some good news. Um, if, if you are a nonprofit, you don't have to match the grant. If you are another type of applicant, local government, business entity, or individual, you do have to have a dollar for dollar match. Um, that means uh, either cash or in kind, any combination. If you are a nonprofit and you can provide some match, that is always in your favor in the rating and ranking. Um, process. Uh, however, it's never necessary to propose a match in excess of a dollar for dollar match. You, you, you're, you're wonderful for doing that, but you don't get extra points. There's more in the grant guidelines about what cash match is and what in-kind match is, and Jen spoke of that already, so I won't go into that again. Uh, and again, as she said, the grant can't be matched with other state money. Um, other things to keep in mind is that you have to spend the match at the same time that you're spending your grant funds. So you can't go back and say, well, but can we use the money that we used to put the roof on last year to match your grant? No. Can we use the money that we used to acquire this property to match the grant? No. Um, unless you are going to acquire a property with grant funds, in which case uh, you can spend grant and match on that. And match, of course, always has to be documented. As far as 
you know, I have this match, what do I do with it? How do I show you that I have it? Well, you want to make sure that you include it in the proper place on your budget, on your grant application, and then at the time you apply, which is going to be July, you have to have half of it in hand and demonstrate that to us. And then at the time you are given an award, which would be in November, you have to have all of it in hand. So it does you no good if you aren't required to have match to put down match that you don't have or you aren't sure that you'll have. Because if you do that, you may forfeit your grant. Um, a few tips about your grant application. Uh, as, as I said when we started off, please read all of the documents before you start filling out the application. Create a username and password so that you can actually view that grant application and go through it tab by tab and get a handle on what all the questions are. There are going to be some application items that have a really long lead time. So say you need a letter of support from your, your senator, your mayor, uh, those types of things can take a long time, especially uh, once they've all left Annapolis after the session. Uh, there may be there may be other things that you need to do like track down that property owner to get a letter of support so uh, keep in mind that this is not something that you start on July the 12th and then get done in a couple of days um, so if if you really haven't done a project like this before a bricks and mortar project it's important um, to, to think about these points and be clear in defining them on your application so what kind of project is it? What is the scope of the entire project from start to finish? And is there a part of that that you're applying for grant funds for? And then how would you fund the rest of it? Are you going to be coming back another year with another funding request? What is the cost of the entire project? In many cases, the entire project may be just the replacement of an asphalt shingle roof. That's fairly straightforward. In other cases, we may have the rehabilitation of an entire building, which may take you five years and may cost you $3 million. So uh, understand what that whole project is that gets you to an end use of a building, if that's what you're after. You may need to, again, consider hiring an architect, which you can use grant funds for. Uh, and in order to ensure that your grant application doesn't look to us too pie in the sky, to get some prices, you know, if, if you are looking at putting a roof on, then call a roofer and, you know, get a price from them. You will have to conduct a competitive procurement for any services uh, paid for out of the grant, but you'll do that with my help later. So it's enough just to have one proposal or, or one cost estimate that helps substantiate your application and make it look like you really, you really did think about it. Uh, understand what other funding sources or resources are available to you and whether your organization will be able to manage the project and the grant on its own or whether you might need a project manager who could perhaps be the same as an architect or an architectural historian or a construction project manager. Uh, in your grant application, it's always important you know, to write well, as Paula said, to be very to the point. You are limited as to how many words you can put on that application and it will stop you. So uh, be, be concise to the point, bring those important points to the front, and don't repeat yourself. 
Uh, because if we see that you've copied and pasted the same answer to multiple questions, that's really not, you didn't read the question well enough. So I've tried to structure the application so that you can click and on a little question mark or on a little I for information and, and pull out a little bit more from the question to help you understand what we're looking for. Uh, we want to see that you have the right team to undertake your project, that you can sustain this investment that the state is making into the future, right? That two years down the road, we're not gonna drive by it and see it falling to bits again. Uh, and of course, that you're responsive to the selection criteria, which are, okay, well, this is not, anyway. So the, the grant applications then, just sort of back up into the big picture, do have to be submitted online through our online application system, which will shut down, it will turn into Cinderella's pumpkin at midnight. Uh, so you have to submit them online 11.59 p.m. on July 15th, which I think is a Friday. Um, I always like to point out that at 11.59 p.m. on July 15th, 2016, I will be at home in my bed asleep. And if you have problems at the last minute, I'm sorry. <laughs> you waited too long. So don't wait until the last minute. Try to submit it, you know, at the latest during the day that day, but you know, what will happen invariably is that you didn't fill out some required field, and we all know what that feels like. Right. And then you know, you, you can't you can't get anything to happen. So if I don't have something in the system for you, <coughs> that's it till next year. Um, so please, please do not wait till the last minute. Uh, I, I can only help you if you don't wait till the last minute. Once you've submitted your application then, you'll hear from us. You'll hear automatically from the system, for one thing, that you've successfully submitted an application. You'll also hear from me that I had some questions and some comments in my threshold check of the application. And this is as a courtesy to you uh, before the applications go to that panel of folks at the commission who are going to actually review them. So uh, once you've responded to my concerns, I forward the application on to the members of the commission who will evaluate, rank, and recommend funding levels. Uh, they bring that recommendation to the Maryland Historical Trust Board of Trustees. So this is a joint recommendation then to our department secretary. And hopefully by November, get an early Christmas present. And after that point, we start getting into the contractual obligations in the river of paperwork, which is a, a grant agreement, and then you're finally feeling like you're able to get this project started. So, um, of course, you'll all want to know what are the selection criteria, and these are included in the grant guidelines. They really don't change from year to year, with the exception of what we have over, well, you don't have it, but I, <laughs> uh, I guess I need to read these then. Okay, we have um, significance and need, which should be fairly obvious. Under significance, you may be talking about um, the significance of your project to African American heritage. You may be talking about the significance of a property. So depending on what you have going on, you may respond. You know, different, different groups will respond to that in very different ways. Uh, then we have points under project design, which include project scope 
and protective value, which is, are you doing a project that's going to contribute to the long-term preservation of the resource? Or have you decided to ignore the leaking roof and re-plaster the walls first, or something like that? So this needs to make sense from a preservation point of view. Uh, your project goals, of course, need to be in line with the goals of the Trust for Historic Preservation and the Commission for African American Heritage. Your budget needs to be reasonable, it needs to be well thought out, and it needs to be substantiated by some facts. <laughs> it also needs to be broken down into multiple line items, if you possibly, possibly can. Uh, your financial capability is about um, how, how is your organization financially sustaining itself? Uh, do you have money in the bank? Do you have donors? Do you have membership, et cetera? Uh, project schedule means are you able to do this project in the time period allotted for the grant, which is two years? Under project management, we're looking at your administrative capability as the group applying for the grant, as well as the professional capability of others you may have consulted in developing your grant application. Public benefit, impact, and local commitment should be fairly straightforward. Do you have um, partnerships? Do you have support of your legislators? Do you have support of others in your community? And leverage is, are you matching, whether you have to match or not? Uh, special initiatives, this is the one that, that I was just starting to say does change every year. So in, in this year, you are asked to explain your project's relationship to the theme of hallowed ground, sites of African American memories. Um, this, is, this is something that, you know, in some years, if there are significant anniversaries or commemorations going on, may be a little bit more specific. Um, but generally, this is, this is more of a five-point question than a 30-point question. Um, and, you know, if you just don't have any connection to that, then don't, don't worry. It's not meant to exclude you. Okay. Uh, I cannot emphasize enough the deadline. Uh, and then uh, the grant awards, again, should be announced in November. Then we'll start doing grant agreements. And with the grant awards being announced and approved in November, then you would have two years until November of 2018 to actually complete your project. Uh, I, don't, I don't too much want to talk about preservation easements, but if, if an easement would be required of your historic property, then you do have to make sure that is complete, which you work with the trust and our easement program on that, uh, but the easement actually has to be recorded in the land records before we can uh, let you start your capital project and disperse any funds. <coughs> Whether you have an easement on your project or not, the trust will review all of the work, and Jen mentioned that there are, depending on where you fall, whether you're historic or not, that may be section 106, that may be easement review, or that may be just me reviewing the suitability of your project. Um, the grant agreement, once you get that, is actually the contract for your grant. And that is, you'll notice, between the Maryland Historical Trust and your organization, the commission is not actually a party to uh, that 
contract because it's the trust that actually disperses the funds, makes sure you're meeting all the project requirements. Um, other things that, that often may keep groups from applying for a grant is a misconception that you actually have to front the cash to do the work. And I just wanted to be very clear that that's not the case. Um, a, a group that's not proposing any match, I assume, you know, is, is a maybe a shoestring nonprofit. That group is not going to have $30,000 to pay a contractor a deposit. So we do work with you on that. And if, you, if you've gone through the appropriate procurement, you've got a contractor on board, you have a signed contract, and you need a deposit or a mobilization fee, we can pay that to you so that you can pay them. And then, so we're looking to invoice after that for, you send us an invoice for completed work and then we can pay you so you can pay the contractor. And then we follow up on the back end to make sure all the financial documentation is in order. So I just wanted to be very clear on that because it often, a misconception can deter folks from thinking they can apply. Uh, there is a procurement process, competitive procurement process for anything you want to pay out of the grant. It's not rocket science and that's part of what I as the grants administrator will help you with. And then you do have to keep the property insured which includes flood insurance if you are in a flood zone. <laughs> I'm on the last slide, so I'll take your question. Uh, so if you do have questions, uh, my information is also on the pink flyer that's in the back. It's one page front and back. Um, for, I would be more likely to help you with technical preservation issues or issues related to doing a bricks and mortar project. Uh, and then Dr. Joni Floyd, who used to be Dr. Joni Jones, same person. Um, she is able to provide you either feedback on a previous application or help you uh, define your, your purpose and um, make a more convincing application, make the most uh, out, of, out of your ideas. Um, Joni is very good at that. So that is actually it for me. That's it for the commission as well. And would you like to ask a question? <laughs> It went away. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Should I take questions? Yeah. yeah sure. What if a grant goes over the amount of the capital expenditure? If there is a building and it goes over, because I noticed that you don't give the money up front. Um, so what if they have invoices and these invoices come in and it's over the capital expenditure? You only have as much as you have. So you would have to come back for more funding in another round. So that's why it's so important to plan and to have these estimates in advance so that you're not caught out then. And we've certainly seen it happen where a project, you know, gets started and then they get their first estimates from the contractor and it's way outside of what they thought. And, and especially, you know, preservation projects, it happens all the time. The building gets worse every five minutes or every time you turn your back on it. So um, it's, in that sense, it's important to um, have a sense of the overall project and then make sure that that you come in, you know, sometimes 
with another request and even with a little contingency in there um, in case because if you if you ask for more you can give it back so we're not we're not going to if you ask for a hundred thousand dollars we're not giving you a hundred thousand dollars we're helping you pay your interest <coughs> as you go so it's not like we're going to give you all this money and you're going to have to actually give it back so they would have to submit the invoices in order to get the funding yeah and the, I wrote the question down good. Um, so what happens is um, you talked about having qualified people to be on a part of the team that's in that organization. Maybe you don't have everybody that's qualified, but you got a group of people that's created as the team, and maybe one person on the team has enough, has some information to deal with grants and work as project manager. And, and working with the whole process of grants. Uh, but the administrator needed to see that we have the right people. We might have the people, they just may not know how to do the actual work. Do they look at that too? Well, so for what we call administrative capability, we're looking at who is it in your group that we're giving the grant to is going to be able to, you know, keep up with the finances provide us with canceled checks and invoices. You know, do you have a structure in place so that, you know, you have somebody doing the paperwork and somebody approving the paperwork? Or do you just have one person who's trying to do it all? You know, do you have checks and balances? It's that sort of thing. Are you set up, uh, have you had any experience with grants of any sort in the past? Or do you have any experience with doing, you know, bricks and mortar projects? Had somebody in your group, maybe who is a contractor or an architect or something. Do y'all have an expectation of you having three or four? Like one is the working with the marketing part of it. One is working with the uh, the business element of. Do y'all have an expectation, or do you put that on the organization itself? We yeah, we don't have any particular you know list. Or you have the checks. No, we're we're just you know we we're trying to avoid. Oh, we have one person, right? You know, and and I, you know, I don't know anything about buildings, and I don't know anything about grants. You know, um, it's it's more about the health, really, of the organization. And do you know? Do I you have it. membership? Do you have multiple people who are involved in this and and those checks and balances as far as dealing with the finance? We can create it. I'm just asking that so when I start bringing it back to them, they understand why mm -hmm. it's necessary to have those. Right. And then we have a, the professional capability, which is more, you know, it, it seems sometimes a little bit silly that we're asking that up front. And then we're also saying that you have to do a competitive procurement for anybody you're going to pay out of the grant. But it's, it's really about have you thought about what experience or expertise you may lack in your organization and you may need to hire out, which is fine. And, and as, I, as I was explaining, a lot of that can be paid for out of the grant. So, you know, don't feel like, um, oh, we don't have, we've never managed a grant like this before, we can't apply. That's not, it's not meant to deter you. Yeah. Because we, we do provide a lot of support. Um, That's what I like about listening to your presentation. Yeah, you're not just, 
Out You're not just cut loose in the lifeboat <laughs> with no paddle. Uh, two questions. One is for Clary. So after November, and then you do the agreement, mm -hmm. funds are immediately available, or does it happen next fiscal year? Does it happen the next calendar year? So the, the awards will be fiscal year 2017. Okay. So, so that money will be available. It'll actually be available in July. Uh, so it'll be pretty much immediately, unless your property, unless we take an easement on your property, in which case it'll be after we, we complete the easement documents. And the second thing, every, uh, or a few of the other organizations <coughs> gave an applicant to awards uh, number, so they had that off the top of your head. Oh, um, so we have, we've received anywhere from 16 to about 30 applications a year and we've funded anywhere from 12 to 16 applications so it's you know i guess that's better odds than heritage areas <laughs> it's, yeah, it's also you know a smaller a smaller pool of potential applicants but we do we do have some projects that, that the commission has decided to commit funds to year after year, you know, major rehabilitation projects. And as long as they're moving forward, there's really not a problem with, you know, coming back in for multiple grants. It's just, you know, if you weren't really ready at the beginning and you're just stockpiling money, then, <laughs> then we have a problem. But. And one more question. Uh, since we are in that 90 day session, <laughs> <laughs> well, so I will say the way the statute is written, it says that the governor shall put a million dollars in the budget every year for the program. And there was some talk last year before it was reauthorized about whether we should ask to have that increase. And I think we felt like not yet. So we're, we're pretty comfortable with the million and what we're, what we're able to fund and I think um, you know, with, with some, we had some projects that were really coming in year after year, and I feel like we might be finished with those, so maybe that, you know, there's, people are going to feel like there's a little bit more money for a new project coming in, so. Yeah, because I just didn't want to be, another hard work you put in. <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, I didn't want to be in a room with these people. And not, and not bring it up, yeah. but yeah, I, I think, I think the feeling is that we're, we're good for now, but. We do, we're very lucky. We have a lot of support in the legislature, and I think if, if we wanted it, they would hear us. So, thank you. Oh, okay. Well, I have a, a more, I have two, actually. Really, really text heavy easement slides, but what was your question? Okay, so, so a preservation easement, for those of you who are maybe not familiar with it, is, um, is an interest in the property that is held by the Maryland Historical Trust, which is intended to ensure the preservation of the property in perpetuity. So basically the way we do that is the trust will have approval authority over any changes to be made to the property, even if it changes ownership, even if it changes use. 
Um, so that is actually, it's, it's a deed of easement, it's a deed because it's recorded in the land records with the property. So we are really only going to take an easement on a historic property of exceptional significance. Um, now the way that we do that, which I think is what you're asking, is that the, the property owner or grantee, usually the same, have to provide us with certain documents which include title work that shows that the, prop, the property owner who is conveying the easement has clear title to the property. Uh, property survey that's going to clearly show the boundaries of the easement. Uh, property description, the meets and bounds. And I don't know, whatever else we ask for, which I, th <laughs> which, which I think that was, that was most of it, but sometimes articles of incorporation that say that this group has the authority to convey an easement. Um, so it's basically a bunch of documentation that the, the con person con or entity conveying the easement has to give us. The trust has an easement processor who checks all that information and then writes the actual easement. So we have a, a paralegal and an attorney who, who do that. And then the easement is sent to the grantor for signature and then we record it. So there are no fees associated with our work, but uh, unless you find an attorney to do pro bono work for you, which is possible, uh, then you would have to pay an attorney to do a certificate of title, uh, or you would have to pay for title insurance, which is the other option. Um, in fact, I think now there is a preference for title insurance. You may also, if you don't have a survey, have to get a surveyor to do that. But if it's a property in the city, we can often use the city plat. So that would, does that help? Okay, question, do you have a question? No, anybody else? Okay. So again, I'm Marilyn Hatza, and I'm going to talk briefly about the Maryland Humanities Council's grants program. Uh, very quickly, the Maryland Humanities Council is a statewide educational organization. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, most of our funding comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Uh, we also receive a small amount of funding from private foundations. Uh, the Maryland State Department of Education, uh, corporations, and then memberships, which could be you. What does the MHC do? So the Maryland Humanities Council promotes uh, humanities programs throughout the state of Maryland. Uh, we have approximately 11 programs that we administer through our organization. Um, and specifically today, I'm here to talk about our regranting program, which is how most people are familiar with the organization. 
And these humanities programs, oh, these humanities programs, and this is a really good slide because people always say, <laughs> people always go, what are the humanities? Um, arts is pretty straightforward. Humanities, of course, a little more blurred lines. Um, but for our purposes, the humanities are social sciences, law, literature, ancient and modern languages, arts history and theory, ethics, history, anthropology, philosophy, architecture, archaeology, and comparative religion. So what you did not hear mentioned there was any type of performance. So visual, performing arts, um, any of the arts is not specifically what we're interested in. That would be the Maryland State Arts Council. Uh, who's eligible for MHC grants program? Nonprofit organizations, government entities. Um, and these funds are available, again, for humanities programming, specifically public humanities programming. So the broader your reach, the more people that you're reaching, the more interesting it is to us. We do not fund um, to individuals. And I'm just trying to wand over that, whatever it is that's around. So as you can hear, my voice is kind of giving out. So I'm going to try to move through this pretty quickly. Uh, we have a couple of different funding levels. We have major grants, which are up to $10,000. There are two opportunities during the year to apply for those major grants, uh, once in the spring and once in the fall. And Teresa is telling me I should take a drink. <laughs> um, and then we have a smaller grants program, which is our opportunity grants. Um, there are three opportunities a year to apply for these $1,200 grants. Um, and all of this information is available in the folder that most of you have, the Maryland Humanities Council folder. It's also all available on our website. And our website address is listed in that folder. <coughs> We recently have, um, we just launched a new grant opportunity. It's called the Humanities Fund for Baltimore. Um, will be a one-time grant uh, opportunity. We uh, were able to get $50,000 to have two rounds of funding for programs that are specifically in Baltimore. Uh, these awards are up to $5,000. Um, and therefore, again, community-based programming that uses the humanities. We're particularly interested in working with small grassroots organizations. Um, if your annual budget is a million dollars or less, we're particularly interested in working uh, with these size organizations. Again, these funds are just for Baltimore. They're for organizations who are working with residents in Baltimore who were impacted. Uh, by the uprising. And again, these programs need to be humanity-based programs, so no performance for performance sake. So um, I just said we do not fund performances. What do we fund? Um, lectures and symposiums, panel discussions, um, exhibitions, interpretive exhibits, living histories. So again, it's practically everything except for the performance. Um, and again, there, is, there are some blurred lines there because uh, we will fund um, some spoken word um, programs, which some people would consider performance. 
the next couple of slides are just how to apply for an MHC grant. Um, and it's just saying, asking questions, are you a nonprofit? Is your project humanities-based? Um, we'd like to know that you have a humanities scholar identified. And by humanities scholar, it does not necessarily mean that it has to be a college professor. It just needs to be somebody with a level of expertise in whatever it is the subject matter that your programming is going to be involved with. Is your project engaging and beneficial to Marylanders? Matching funds, you just need a one-for-one uh, one one match, and our matching funds can, can, like most people, be cash match or in-kind services, so it doesn't all have to be uh, dollars in hand. Uh, the Maryland Cultural Data Project, which, which the Maryland State um, Arts Council requires, is um, we recommend that you uh, sign up for it, but it is not a requirement of ours. And then this has my uh, contact information on it, <laughs> which is available in one of these packets. Um, I am the grants administrator, so if you have specific questions about the content of a program um, or specific questions about the eligibility of your organization, I would be the person to contact. Uh, like most people here, we have an online grant system, which is accessed through our website. Um, if you would be having technical difficulties with that website, you would contact Teresa Warden, um, who is, we don't, she doesn't have contact information on the slides because she just started with us a couple of weeks ago. Um, but her information is readily available on the website also. Oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, right. So I guess I could do this very, very, um, for our major grant uh, application, uh, like most people, we require a letter of intent. This, again, is filled out online. It's very quick just to say this is who we are and this is what we'd like to do. Subsequently, we invite you to uh, put out a full application. And this is only required for the major grant, for the $10,000 grant. For the $1,200 uh, grant, it's just a very short application. Review your application. Um, this is actually um, something I'll get to at the end of the, the, end of the uh, presentation. Um, this is just things that are required along with your application, um, CVs or resumes for uh, people who would be your humanities scholars or would be participating on your panel discussions, uh, what have you. And then again, as Anne mentioned, um, we have an online system. Midnight is uh, when the applications are due. No one will be in the office at midnight. So it is advised that you <clears throat> not wait until midnight to press the send button on your application. And we no longer require a hard copy. And then wait, because <laughs> it's about uh, six weeks between the grant's submission deadline and then when you're notified if you uh, receive the award. Our evaluation criteria is pretty straightforward. Uh, we want to see very uh, defined humanities content. It should not be hidden. It should be straightforward. 
what that humanities content is, um, a program, the quality program. Project management, uh, we just want to know that you have this administrative capacity to see that project through. Your budget needs to be reasonable and needs to add up. Uh, we'd like to see that you're engaging different audiences, uh, new audiences for us and maybe even new audiences for your organizations. And then our target audiences are also listed on our website. Um, but very briefly, we have uh, newly defined audiences after going through a strategic plan that include um, families with young children, young adults, men, uh, different ethnic people of different diverse ethnic backgrounds, prisoners and veterans are included in our new target audiences. To access the application, um, our website is there. And then very quickly before we get to question time, I had uh, made some tips and typed them up very nicely, but I lost that nice typewritten sheet. But I do have the ones that I hand wrote when I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, and these, are, I, I think, are critical to uh, share. They, a lot of times they may sound silly, but these are just things that I think when you're caught up in writing the applications, particularly if you're doing more than one application at a time, um, it becomes confusing and it can be really become overwhelming. Um, first off, I, I have just make sure that you're applying to the correct organization for your project. Um, so if you have a capital uh, project, you wouldn't apply to me if, you have, if you're trying to save the roof of a building. So just make sure that before you, uh, and, and to back up a little bit, I would say before you contact anybody, take a look at their website. Because websites, most people have taken a lot of time to put information on their websites that, that will probably answer your questions before you call me and say, when is your deadline? The deadlines are, are going to be on the website. So take a look at the website. Make sure that that organization is a match for what it is that you're trying to do. Uh, make sure that your budget numbers add up. And I know this sounds like common sense, but when you're rushing and the deadline is upon you, you'd be surprised at the budgets that I get that they don't add up. And that's just, I mean, a beautiful uh, project or program should not be eliminated because something as simple as you didn't check your math. Um, I would say answer the questions that are asked. A lot of times organizations feel they want to tell you what they think is important. Um, and I know you think your work is important, but the work that you're doing may not be what's important to me as a grantor. I want to hear about that project and the program that you want the funding for, um, as opposed to all the good work that your organization is doing. Um, and, and the first one I should have put was read the directions, and then after you read them, follow them. <laughs> a lot of people read the directions, but then they don't follow the directions. Um, only give me what I ask for. So if I don't ask you for five newspaper articles about, again, the good work that your organization is doing, please don't include it. Um, if I've got 20 applications that I need to read, having to go through those extra five newspaper articles does not make me happy. Um, contact the grant administrator um, before you um, uh, fill out that application. Most grant administrators would like to talk to you up front 
so that you have the strongest possible application. And most are willing. I know a lot of people think that they aren't, but most people are very willing, ready, and available to speak with you. And I think, oh, and then follow the established template. Um, a grant application is not the time to say, oh, I want to make myself shine. We like things in a certain pattern, and it would behoove you to follow the pattern that is outlined for you to, again, make it easier for me as the grant reviewer to be able to read the, get the information that I need from your application. So that's it for me. Questions? Is it possible to get a, a winning grant so that we can actually see used as a, or do you not allow that to take place? A lot of people do not. Um, I am actually going to do some type of redacted grant, successful grant applications on my website very soon because I do think that's useful. Um, but it's kind of hard because you have to blank out right. so much of the information. So some people do. I, I do. Does anybody else provide provide that service? Interesting. Okay. A successful an example of a successful application. Yeah, most people. Most people don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I you have to If they are not specifically requested in the grant guidelines, I would not include them. Make that argument in your narrative. When they add, most, most organizations will ask about your organization, and that's the time to make that. But it, again, if I've got 25 applications in front of me, or and most of us have committees um, that are reading these applications, they don't want to look through those extra five pages of newspaper, typically, poorly reproduced newspaper articles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Is yeah. drama included, because I saw your example of the symposium on Greek. Uh, the symposium is, it would be fundable, but the actual performance would not be. So it could be tied, you could have a performance. And typically it is, typically it is, and at some point I'm, I'm even considering doing a arts and humanities category because a lot of our programming, right, there will be an arts component, and then the accompanying discussions or panels or exhibits is the part that we find. So it could be split. Yes, absolutely. I was going to add to her question. In our case, it's different because with our um, basic grantees, which are the folks that are below $50,000 in expenses, 
they only give that phone call to put their best foot forward. They don't get a visit, and a lot of them, we have so many organizations we can't have panelists for every single organization because it's just not possible. So we, we in the application, give them the option to send those materials to the different panelists, you know, to, to give them that opportunity so that we can't say, you know, we couldn't schedule the activity because of the resources, but here's your opportunity. So I think it's different. Exactly, exactly. But a lot of times I get more than I want and it's not, and it has nothing to do with the grant application. That's the thing, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a great organization, but I mean, it, sounds, it sounds awful, but I don't necessarily care. It, that's not what I'm interested in as a grant maker, so. Any other questions for any of us? Because we're ready. Oh, yes. Yes, ma'am. Are you ready? Yes, absolutely. Good afternoon. I'm Tommy Daniels with the Baltimore National Heritage Area, and I've been um, asked to invite you to a really interesting town hall meeting. And if you don't have a site um, that is
for whatever purpose, whether it be community, community outreach programs, or um, working with <coughs> Thanks. 